Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Gene Signorini, and I'm excited to be joined by two guests for today's episode. Our first guest has more than 25 years of experience helping Fortune 500 companies and startup clients with particular expertise in managing large-scale change projects. He has a keen insight into the abilities and skills that individuals possess and is currently partner at Blue Star Partners. Please welcome Rob Malench. Rob, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Gene. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And Rob is also joined by his colleague, um, Rishi Vidge, who has more than 13 years of hands-on consulting experience working with large Fortune 500 companies. He's a results-oriented management consultant and is also partner at Blue Star Partners. Rishi, thanks for joining us as well. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have both you guys on the program. Uh, I was really excited about our chat a, a couple of weeks ago, and I can't wait to share some of the things you were talking about with the audience. Um, you know, as you know, we love to kind of kick off the show with kind of the overarching kind of question that serves as kind of the theme for the podcast itself, uh, which is what's the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless and frontline workforce today? So guys, I'd just love to kind of hear your perspectives on this. Yeah, well, Gene, maybe I can get us started here. Yeah. You know, from my perspective, I would say, a, when we think about just the environment that we're all currently living in, right? The last couple of years, it's been an unprecedented time with this pandemic. Uh, people are worried about their personal safety, their personal well-being, their families. Um, you know, and I think when you think about that as sort of the broader context within which the frontline deskless workers that all of us are working within, and you add that also to the fact that customers are still expecting more, businesses are still looking to advance, right? And you get this sort of pancaking effect of this environment, all these changes coming at people, it can start to become really overwhelming to those frontline workers really quickly. And not only is that something that we should be, you know, sort of watching and sort of have an eye to, but it can actually be dangerous, right? I mean, many of our frontline workers are working in environments that are are quite dangerous, whether we're talking about, you know, high voltage lines or, you know, high compression gas, um, you know, lines or whatever it might be. Um, and the more that we sort of pancake and layer on and the more that they're feeling stressed out and overwhelmed, the more that they might be distracted, right? And not paying attention as they really should and need to for their own personal well-being and safety, the safety of their customers and their teams. And so we wanna talk a little bit about, you know, how do we kind of take that into consideration when we're managing large scale change in an organization and especially when we're touching those frontline deskless workers. Yeah, and you know, Rob, I love that point where, um, you know, you talk about the safety issue because it's something that, you know, we've talked a lot on this program about the anxieties that frontline workers mm -hmm. face, but 
you know, I, I like the point you're making that in some of these roles, right, that anxiety, that stress could lead to potential safety issues. Right. I think that's a it's a it's a really great point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you were to do a deep dive on some of the, you know, more um, public, um, larger incidents and really dig underneath what was happening for the for these individuals, I bet that that more often than not, what we would start to see is that, you know, there are too many things coming at them to try to keep track of um, at any one time. You combine that with just that general sense of malaise that we've been in with this pandemic and people are just distracted and, you know, and, and it only takes an instant, right, for, for a bad thing to happen and for it to have disastrous consequences. So, yeah, definitely a, a very uh, timely and important topic for us to delve into a little bit deeper here. Absolutely. Rishi, uh, I would love to get your perspective on, on this as well. Yeah. So, you know, to, to, to build on what Rob, um, you know, mentioned, you know, I, I, as I think about my experiences with frontline uh, workers, um, there has been a difference in expectations, you know, over the past few years, you know, frontline workers are expected to be more agile and adaptable in this environment. And, you know, organizations are looking to, you know, try to affect that change and utilize things like technology to really make <clears throat> their work and their lives better. But we also recognize that the pace of that change is really fast. And you know, it often takes um, some time to get adjusted to a new technology um, or a change in the technology. And um, it's, it can be challenging, um, you know, especially as you layer on um, technology changes you layer on safety protocol changes. Um, there's just a lot that hits the frontline worker. And you know, it's, it's our job as change practitioners to really think through you know, all the different touch points to come up with ways and strategies to help people manage through um, all of the change that's, that's hitting them. And, and I, just, I would say, Rishi, you know, kind of building on that for just a quick second, um, you know, so often, Gene, one of the things that we also see is that, right, a project gets going and the project can almost develop what I call tunnel vision, right? Mm -hmm. They know that they have certain milestones and dates and things to hit, and they're really focused on what they need the frontline person to do. Well, but then we've got three other projects that are also getting into that tunnel vision and, and they've got their three things that they need that frontline worker to do and et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that I think is you know, sort of um, the next evolution, if you will, of how we manage large scale change is that taking that cross section, right? And really let's look at it from the stakeholder perspective and let's think about, hey, we have initiative A, B, C, and D. And hey, when we look at, at what they have planned, right? Over the next 90 days, I I'm a big fan of that 90 day look ahead. Um, what's coming for that frontline worker over that next 90 days? And is there a way for us rather than it just being the pancake, right, of just layering on top to, to instead consolidate and maybe, you know, it's a, maybe it's a, a two-layer cake instead of a five-layer cake. Um, because the more that we can sort of streamline and integrate things for that frontline worker, the more it's going to feel like it's less of, you know, kind of that piling on. And it's like, oh, this makes sense. It's in the context of something else. Um, so that's one of the strategies that we can take to start to, you know, have that cross-section view 
of what's coming from for that stakeholder. Yeah, I mean, I, you you kind of raised this the you know the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing often, and and the you know the victim of that right is too often the frontline worker. I think there's something else, Rishi, you mentioned right, which is you know technology. I think you said something. Technology is meant to make their lives better, right? But then you know when you were talking, Rob, you kind of said, you know, we've got a team here that. They've got things they want the frontline worker to do, and this other team want the frontline worker to do, which is there seems to be a disconnect. We, we often hear this talk about enabling and empowering frontline workers with technology, but I think it's often not the case that we're doing that. And I think there's probably the perception among the frontline themselves that this technology is not really making my life better. What, what's your kind of feel? Because I know you've worked very closely with some customers as they've gone through these initiatives. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I think the biggest thing and I, I have been, this is one of my other sort of um, mantras lately is we need to know who are some of those key influencers in a frontline organization and bring them in early into some of these initiatives so that we understand and truly value their perspective. And I'll give you one quick example on a a non-example of where that didn't happen. Um, with one of our clients, you know, rolling out some new devices, right? Some iPads, et cetera. Now, mind you, our frontline workers in this case already have a couple of devices that they're carrying, a cell phone, maybe a laptop, et cetera. And, um, and so someone thought it would be great, hey, let's get them iPad equipped as well. And while that might actually eventually be a good thing, right now what we're doing is we're adding another device And the way that it was done was it was rolled out with literally one of their processes on it, not all of them. So now I can't get rid of a device, right? I've got an extra one that I have to add. And I truly think had they pulled in some of those frontline folks at the very beginning when they were thinking about, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to give you an iPad. Isn't that great? I think that they would have heard loud and clear from that frontline audience well, yeah, it's great if I can get rid of one of these other ones that I'm carrying. So if it's going to, if I can use it to do everything, then it is great. And, and literally one of the senior executives at that client said to me um, recently that they went on a ride along um, with, you know, a crew and they didn't touch that iPad once. Um, And so again, having that voice, right, of, of reason and of experience at the front end and, and factoring that into what we're doing um, can really help. Because now, not only do we have a situation where it didn't go over well, but now trying to convince, right, that same set of people that this iPad is going to be a good thing for them over the course of time, now we've done the opposite of, of creating that excitement and, and creating, you know, some enthusiasm. Now it's like, oh, you know, here we go with yet another another device, another thing. So, um, yeah, Rishi, what would you add? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit on one of the things that I, I think is just it's absolutely critical is, you know, seeing the world uh, through their lens and through their perspective, you know, the, the ride alongs and, you know, the, the visits to sites where the work is actually happening. Uh, is absolutely critical because there are just there are things that are unspoken and things that people assume um, that you know when you start to see the world through the lens of a frontline worker, um, you know you just get a completely different perspective, 
And as you dialogue and engage, especially upfront, but also throughout, you know, the project, right? As as the work evolves, and you know, as the messaging also needs to evolve and 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 be tailored to the various audience groups, um, you know, it's it's critical to have their voice throughout uh, the engagement. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 very. I mean, it, it's funny, but not funny, Rob. The story you kind of told. Right. Which is, you know, that that initial excitement, I can say, hey, we're giving you iPads. Oh, that's great. You mean, I can get rid of the the, you know, that old laptop I've had. Yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, you just it's you know, we'll we'll get to that in the future. Right. And I, and I think, Rish, you hit it, which is that perspective too often. And, and this is a recurring theme on this podcast. We've heard a number of times is you can't design. You know, we used to say uh, in a previous business, you can't design solutions from a boardroom. And I think too often that's exactly what's happening. No, if from an ivory tower, you know, the, the different, the, the view that you have from the ivory tower compared to when you're on the ground and in the truck are very different. And smart executives today are realizing that and, and getting, getting themselves, getting their teams, you know, out there and pulling in also, right? Again, some of those influencers from that front line and getting their perspective. You know, the, the Ritz-Carlton, I think, has um, a really great concept, right? They, they call their customer service the, creating the wow experience. And if you've ever heard them kind of talk about it or we brought them into clients at different times to help kind of also, you know, train how to create a wow customer experience, I think the next um, evolution of that is the wow employee experience. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about that, right, it's like so – so for that frontline worker, that that iPad example could have been a really great opportunity to create a wow employee experience. And I again, had they brought some people in and talked about how what would a wow experience look like for you with the implementation of these iPads, I think they would have heard a whole slew of things that they could have factored into their planning, and it would have been a win-win all the way around. And generated not only excitement for that, but also you're building that emotional bank account, right? With people that says, hey, they listened to me. They valued what I said. Um, this experience is good. I'm looking forward to the next thing. Versus, wow, here they did it to me again. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's the opposite of a wow experience. You know, it's it's a um, it's a bummer experience. So anyway, I think more more to come on that front too. Yeah, and I like the example you talked about the Ritz Carlton. I think that's great. You know, bringing them in. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, I'm sure you realize this better than anyone is. You know, a lot of these industries are not. It's it's a very different mentality, right? Than I mean, Ritz Carlton hospitality, right? They've lived that right um, for for years and years and years. Which are now some of these industrial organizations. I'm sure utilities and others that we've talked about are trying to really kind of think about it from a customer experience and, and from an employee experience. I think Rishi, you mentioned it right at the beginning, which is we're asking our frontline workers to be more agile, right? To be really that face of the company. And yet there is a big cultural shift, I think that has to occur to kind of get there. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's absolutely right. You know, I, I also think about, you know, leader-led communications and, you know, this kind of ivory tower versus, you know, having a frontline worker at the inception and kind of being the voice in the face of the change. 
um, is also an important thing, you know, that we've learned along the way. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing if you have, you know, an executive that, you know, doesn't spend any time in the field, you know, explain what it is that we're doing, why it is we're doing and what the impacts are going to be. Um, but having that message delivered by a peer um, or an influencer, like, you know, what Rob had mentioned earlier is, is absolutely critical to building credibility and, you know, just making sure that, you know, the change is relatable um, to the frontline worker. Yeah, I think that's a great point. The credibility point, I think, is, is really important. I, I'd love you guys um, to spend just a few minutes talking a little bit about Blue Star. I think there's probably um, some of our listeners that that aren't familiar with you guys. And and um, so, yeah, let, you know, talk a little bit about Blue Star Partners, kind of why it was created, you know, um, and how you kind of got to it. Yeah, sure. Well, um, Gene, I um, I am actually the founder of Blue Star Partners, and um, and it you know the 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 path from where I started in my career to here uh, is is a pretty simple one actually. I started at Accenture way back in 1991 um, when I was 12 as a as a child prodigy. No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. I was only. Um, uh, so yeah, it's been the better part of 30 years, and you know after being at the firm for nine of those years, I decided, hey, I'd had enough of that travel. I had a great experience there. Um, went out on my own initially just to do some independent consulting with, with a client. Um, and after a couple of years of that, I really enjoyed that and decided to sort of formalize that as my career path. And so in 2002, created Blue Star Partners. Um, you know, my own background has been really consistently in organizational change management, largely working with um, you know, resources and energy types of clients. Um, so we continue to do a lot of that kind of work today. We've added other partners as well and added practice areas to the firm. And Rishi, maybe you can tell a little bit more about, you know, kind of some of that evolution of, of, our, of our practice. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, as, as we, uh, you know, are continuing to go down the path that, that Rob had set, you know, recognize that, you know, there were just other, um, places of project delivery and change that our clients were asking for support on. So, you know, over time, we added a leadership development practice. Over time, we've built out a project management and portfolio management practice um, with the central theme of change being done right. So, you know, a lot of the principles that apply to the change space also apply to the project management space and also apply to leadership development. So uh, tell me, how did you guys, each of you, what kind of brought you to change management to become kind of change professionals? What was, was there a turning point in your career? Was it just something you stumbled into and said, Hey, I'm kind of good at this and I like it. Um, what, what was kind of the impetus there? Yeah, it's, it's funny for me. I was just telling someone this story the other day and, um, it just it just goes to you know sort of the the power of being in the right place at the right time. So I um, went to the University of Illinois for both my undergraduate and my MBA. And you know as I was finishing up my MBA at Illinois, um, you know I had taken all these finance classes. I was always really good at math, and I was initially thinking I was going to become a financial analyst. And I started to interview for some of these jobs, and I just I didn't have the passion for it, to be honest. You know, it's like I could do it, but I just it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't what was speaking to me. 
And then I went to a presentation that Accenture at the time, Management Consulting, was giving on campus, and they were starting this brand new practice called organizational change management. And all of a sudden, it clicked in my mind that that is what I wanted to do. And the elements of it that spoke to me were it's problem solving, um, there's a lot of critical thinking, and it's the people side of change that we're trying to make happen. Um, and I remember I came home to my roommate and I literally said, that is what I'm going to do. <laughs> and, and sort of the rest is history. And I have to say, and this is not to toot my own horn, and I'm glad I didn't know this at the time, they only hired two people that year um, into, because it was a budding practice. And I was one of the two that they hired. And so that's where I mean about being in the right place at the right time. And it all just sort of worked out. And I'm, I really could not be uh, happier or, or more blessed in that regard. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I've heard this from a number of folks on the on the program about some of the whys and what brought them there. And the people aspect kind of keeps coming up, right? You you tend to think of change professionals very process oriented, and but it's really the the people aspect of it, I think, that brings a lot of people into that domain. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Rashid. Yeah, you know, I, I um, you know, was attracted to the, the organizational change management space for a, a similar reason. You know, when I started uh, my career, uh, I started at Accenture and, you know, there was a particular project that was implementing, um, you know, a new technology. Um, you know, this client was a very large uh, consumer product goods company, and there was a mandate that uh, both the government and Walmart had instituted that if, you know, any company wanted to do business with them, they would need to implement this new technology, um, RFID, um, into the supply chain. Um, so, you know, this company, they wanted to investigate, you know, can we derive more value if we, you know, include this technology, you know, from beginning to end? And, you know, as we were going from distribution center to manufacturing centers across the United States, you know, started to see, um, you know, and, and recognize that the technology was there and that was not a risk to this implementation. The risks were around people and readiness and adoption. And, you know, as I started to learn more about, you know, what do we really need to think about and what's critical path? Uh, you know, recognize that, you know, in addition to some of the technical components, you know, we really needed to think about the, the end user experiences and, and plan and account for that. So that was my first kind of foray into the space. And then, you know, started to do some other projects um, that were more, uh, you know, change management focused and, you know, just really enjoy uh, you know, understanding, you know, where people kind of are in the current state and then developing plans, uh, you know, to get them to uh, their future state. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny you mentioned that. Um, if it's the same, you didn't mention the the company, but if it's the same one I'm thinking of, I remember that uh, initiative that didn't necessarily go off as it was initially planned, right? You said the technology was ready. And, and I think it goes back to some of the things you talked about, Rishi. I think it's that pushing technology without really understanding the the dimension at the front level. Right. Um, and um, I, I think it's, that's probably was probably a very good learning experience for uh, the other things that you had to do in, in the future. So. 
And Gene, I would say related to that, you know, one of the things that I'm often asked um, where my clients where maybe they, they don't think first and foremost about change management, well, why should we add change management into the mix? And my common response is, well, you can either pay me a little bit now or you can pay me a lot more later. <laughs> it's so much easier and better if we think about change from the very beginning. And again, especially when we think about those frontline deskless workers, right? They're there to really just do their job, do it safely, return home safely, you know, collect their check and, and be done, right? That, that, I think for a lot of those folks, and I grew up in a household, that's what my dad, my dad was that, that person. Um, and that's what success looks like for them, right? And, and I feel like so often uh, folks in, in those roles, they just feel like they don't have a voice in what's happening. And so the more that we can bring that voice in and um, you know, at the beginning and, um, and make it a part of instead of apart from what we're doing, again, yeah, you're going to make a, a small, relatively small. Most of our projects, by the way, the, the overall project budget, let's say it's, you know, $100 million for a really big project, 10% um, of that, allocate 10% of that to your change management. And isn't 10% a really great insurance policy to make sure that you're not having to go back and redo or that people are so distracted and distraught by this pancaking effect that they get distracted and have a big you know, accident on the job? That 10% will pay dividends for from now until, you know, the cows come home, so to speak. Um, or you cannot pay that 10% now. And I guarantee you, you're going to wish, right, a year from now when you're not getting the results and or the safety has been compromised or the customer experience is not a wow experience, you're going to be paying double and triple that to try to undo and to redo what you could have done right the first time. Yeah. You know, and the interesting thing is, I think, Rob, I, I think you made some great points that term insurance policy is something that certainly resonates with me. Um, but I think particularly with technology projects, and, and I'd love your perspective on this, but I find with technology initiatives, the technology often, you know, the thinking about the technology and the technological solutions that the piece parts that go into that take so much precedence that we almost forget all the other factors that go into the mm -hmm. success of, of a project or an initiative. Um, and it seems like it becomes change, training, adoption, all those things become an afterthought uh, and sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, addressed too late in a, in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I definitely have seen that um, a number of times over the course of my career um, where, you know, it, it, it was an afterthought or, and or where we are brought to the table very late in the game because a lot of executives still in this day and age think about, well, hey, we're getting ready to quote unquote deploy something. Now we need some training and some change management. And when we show up in those situations, um, hey, of course, we're going to do everything that we can to make it as successful as we can. And I also talk about there right? We need to pay close attention after the first set of goal lies because, right, whatever's happening now is going to happen. Um, and we need to start supporting people with, you know, um, whether it's refreshers on training or, you know, some real-time tips or, you know, a short YouTube snippet or whatever it might be, right? 
that they can go back to and um, and help them do the job that we're asking them to do, you know, after this 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 go live. Um, and so, yeah, again, uh, you know, I can't stress enough. And this is not about bringing us as Blue Star partners in, but think about and enact change management from the very beginning. You're gonna you're gonna thank us all later. <laughs> yeah, and I think I, I you know it, it it also seems that maybe this is a question. Do you see companies shifting the mentality to change management? I mean, change management is often associated with a product project mentality, right? We've gone through a, a merger and acquisition, right? Or we're implementing new technology and it's, there's a beginning and end, right? And we need the, you know, change management to help us through this project. But I think some of the things you just alluded to, Rob, would indicate that really change is uh, an ongoing thing. And certainly in the environment in which we exist, right? Where things are rapidly changing all the time. It just seems like, no, we're, we're never really done with change management. Yeah. And I can share as, as well, just, you know, from my perspective, you know, with some of the clients that I work with, um, I can start, I'm starting to see the tide turn a little bit in terms of understanding that change management is needed. Um, but I'm also seeing a lack of understanding of what change management mm -hmm. really is and, you know, what it can do to support, you know, the overall business outcomes um, that they want to achieve. You know, a, a lot of times people just think it's this narrow, you know, training right before go live um, and maybe a little bit of training or job aids, you know, after, you know, once you're in, you know, a hyper care period. Um, but, you know, when we get an opportunity, you know, to help clients, you know, we really think about, you know, a, a lot of different dimensions, right? Like we, we look to ensure that leaders are aligned in the beginning, in the middle and, and through the deployment to get to, you know, the, the value realization. Um, we look at communications and engagement opportunities throughout the duration, right? Like we, we don't try to spring things at the very last minute. Um, you know, we try to help people first become aware and then understand, you know, and then buy into the solution, um, you know, as we get to deployment and let people experience it, you know, to really buy in and commit to the change. Um, you know, we also think about stakeholder management and, and metrics, you know, that we can look at along the way, you know, to ensure that um, you know, we are driving towards you know, user adoption for these changes. Yeah. And Rishi, to piggyback on that for just a quick second, on the metrics point, Gene, this is one, I keep calling this is the, the new sort of unsung, unsung hero of change management metrics, and that is resilience. And it comes back to that thing I was saying at the very beginning you know, of when you asked about what's the biggest challenge in this, and I talked about the environment and the pancaking, et cetera. Um, in today's world, right, we are seeing, you know, they call it, right, the great resignation, right? The resilience is down across the board. I don't care what industry you're talking about or what set of workers. So what, A, do we know? Like, as an organization, do you know what the resilience is right now of your workforce? And if you don't, let's start getting underneath that because there are ways that we can measure that, right? And secondly, what can we do to keep that resilience up? And it's things like generating excitement about something, not a sense of dread, not a sense of it's being done to me, but a sense of like, hey, I can't wait for this. And if this was good, the next thing will be even better, right? Um, 
So I think that resilience factor is one that we're going to start to hear and see a lot more for the savvy organizations that get it. Um, and um, yeah, I, I just think that that's, that's, that's one of the things that we need to watch. So how do you measure resilience, Rob? I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, what are some of the techniques to do that? Yeah, sure. So I think there's a, a, a number of things that can kind of come into sort of like a, a resilience index, if you will, right? So the first one is just literally a very simple pulsing of the organization. Um, I, I've had this concept in my mind, right? You know, if you've, if you've been on a flight lately, right, when you come off or if you're going even on to the, to the boarding process, they have those emoji sort of um, – you know, buttons that you can push that just very quickly give you like the sense of, hey, it's a smiley face, I had a great experience, or frown face, it's really bad. So for a number of our clients, we're talking about there's something called an always-on survey that you can do through technology now, right? And this is where those iPads could become very useful for our workers to be able to say, you know what, um, at any point in time, I can go out to this always-on survey and I can and I can click on the emoji on how I'm feeling in terms of, right, um, and we might not call it resilience for them, might we just call it like, you know, how are you feeling engaged or whatever, in, you know, in terms of today. So that's one thing we can do to have a real time sort of, you know, dashboard view of, of resilience. But beyond that, there are other indicators, things like, well, are we starting to see some turnover of our high performing, you know, talent? Uh, and, and again, from a frontline perspective, we know it can take years to build people up into, right, with all the training and the certifications and recertifications. If you're starting to see some of the early indicators, right, that, that those folks are starting to check out, that's a sign that resilience for the organization is down. Um, when we go out for a field visit, right, as a leader, just talk to the people, right, like have a conversation. They're going to tell you more often than not kind of how they're feeling and, you know, are they feeling energized or are they feeling um, demotivated? Um, those are some of the, the, you know, the buzzwords that people might start to, to use. So, um, and lastly, um, another technique that we've started with some of our clients is what I call data scraping. So basically, right, when we're putting things out on electronic channels, like a Yammer, what have you, people can start to now, just like we might do, you know, on Facebook, whatever, they can put comments, right? If we can start to scrape that comp those comments and we start to get the, the sentiment data, right, that can be another really good indicator of, of you know, just again, how is the organization feeling? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one other thing that goes through my mind is, you know, once we have the information, you know, especially in this day and age, you know, I, I think a lot of times, um, you know, we see with our clients, they've already got like a very fixed schedule of this deploys this month, these next three changes deploy the following month, and then so on and so forth. And, you know, having resilient information and metrics captured and factoring that into, you know, the, do we deploy this, you know, next month or, you know, is there some sort of adjustment? Um, I think is also really important, right? I mean, we see when, you know, it's just this constant without feedback, you know, deploy this change and then another change and then another change, um, you know, people get lost and, you know, it just, it makes uh, adoption extremely difficult, you know, if we just, we, if we don't have those mechanisms um, and, and importantly, take action to factor in, you know, what is the current level of resilience? Yeah. And I think you talked about the adoption piece, Richie, right? Or, or you know, and the, the way I kind of tend to think about that often is, 
you know, if you don't do it right, right, if you're not implementing right, and, and I think it goes back to the point you made earlier about the iPads, Rob, that example, which is you have the, the, the risk is you have the opposite effect, right, is that you're creating frustration, right, on the front mm-hmm. line, right, you're creating, you know, more pressure. Um, and I think we often lose sight of that, that, okay, you know, there's, you know, it's not only the communication, which I think both of you really kind of talked about earlier, right, is how do we really effectively communicate? Um, how do we get those right influencers involved in the process early? How do we get involvement from the frontline workers, right, to provide feedback on what they need? But then there's the piece of like, okay, as we're actually now or before we're implementing it, how do we adequately prepare them, right, to actually use the technology, right, or, or em- embrace it? So I'd love to kind of get in, dive a little bit on what are some of the techniques that you guys have seen or used to help your customers kind of get over that part of the change process? Yeah, you know, um, First off, again, we have to remember, right, that when we're thinking about our frontline workers and our frontline leaders, they are there to service the client and to, you know, get things done and hopefully create that wow experience. And, and, and I bring that up because one of the things that we should always keep in our front and center in our minds is how do we disrupt them as little as possible, right, and still get the change to happen. And so getting creative with how we can sort of bite size and, you know, chunk out things in terms of information and training, et cetera, is really critical. Um, And I do think, again, interestingly, back to this iPad example, right, in this mobile world that we live in and with things like YouTube, et cetera, we have so many more channels now that we can make things into more bite sized and almost sort of the edutainment sort of, you know, sort of um, packaging, if you will. And Rishi, maybe if you want to share a couple of specific, specific examples of that, that might be another, you know, helpful piece to add. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm thinking about a recent example where uh, one of our uh, clients wanted to implement uh, a new human capital management uh, solution um, that would provide frontline workers uh, with direct access and self-service technology, you know, on a mobile device. And, you know, as we did, you know, some of our upfront homework on, you know, stakeholder analysis, and as we were, you know, conducting our focus groups, you know, really understood that this client just felt like they were inundated with like training course after training course, they all kind of felt the same. And, you know, we were asking, you know, what would be impactful and, you know, as, as we started to unpack that, you know, we wanted to create something exciting and something memorable, but to still convey um, relevant information. Um, so, you know, we challenged our change team to come up with some strategies to be able to do that. Um, one example is, um, you know, we created a short um, holiday um, Christmas song. And um, this was to explain in you know, a few minute clip um, what the new payslips would look like. And you know, we basically had these two characters that um, you know, we created various videos throughout the life of the project that would come on and talk about you know, various benefits or changes. 
And, you know, when we got to training, you know, we shared this one video and it just caught people completely off guard because it was just so different. And, you know, we created a buzz in the organization and people were like, Hey, did you, did you take that training? Like that was just so unique and different. Like, Oh my gosh, like this, you know, like, why can't we have more experiences like this where like, it feels like I'm watching like a video with my family and like, I'm laughing, I'm enjoying, and I'm still learning things. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's just one example. So Rishi, you, you sent me that video um, and you had kind of described it a little bit and then I watched it and it certainly wasn't what I expected. It was, you know, it was really, really entertaining, as you said. Um, and I think, you know, it's a great description of it, but I don't think it does it justice. Right. To me, it's like a um, the vibe I got was kind of like a schoolhouse rock type video. So it's this animated video with this rap song. And it was very that's what it reminded me of. I may be dating myself. I think you guys are at least Rob is nodding along. He knows what schoolhouse rock is. Maybe some of our younger listeners don't. Um but it, it, you know, it's a great teaching tool. And what I'd like to do, if you guys are okay with it, I'd like to provide a link um, to that video. I think we'll put it in the, um, on the Frontline Innovators podcast LinkedIn uh, page, uh, the, uh, the post for this episode. So if you're listening, go check that out. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. I think it's a great way. And I, and I think it, it goes back. I think, you know, I, I, you know, I love what you guys are talking about is, listen, we've got a number one, we've got to find, better ways to engage with this segment of the workforce, right? We've got to make it truly engaging. I mean, all of us know that, you know, training in general is, I think is, is generally seen as a burden, right? For everyone. Okay. We have to go through this training. Right. But, you know, I, I think it's also necessary. We've talked about this, right. You know, we have to prepare uh, individuals there, Rob, I love what you talked about. I think Rishi, you talked about the video concept is great. I think Rob, you kind of alluded to kind of the micro learning approach. Right. Um, and I think that's especially important for this segment of the workforce, because as we know, you know, they've got a very tightly scheduled day, right. They, you know, they don't, you know, as, as I think information workers or knowledge workers, whatever we want to call ourselves, we have a bit more variability and flexibility to kind of fit things in where, um, into our kind of workday and work style. That's not often the case, uh, for frontline workers at all. That's right. I, I think that that is so, that's so true, Gene. And I think, um, that is something that we need to hold again, front and center as we're, as we're planning these change initiatives. One other quick thing that I wanted to mention is, um, we're also starting to push clients on the benefits of VR um, for um, for you know our our deskless workers because again a lot of times right what what is has traditionally been required is that they have to come out of the field into a training facility and actually go through whatever the you know even if it's technology or even non-technology training right if we can now equip with um, and, you know, a set of VR goggles, and again, some short snippets and whatever, um, maybe we can reduce that disruption time where they have to come out of the field and into a training center, and they can experience as good or maybe even better, um, exp you know, experience it from the learning perspective by using the VR technology. I mean, virtual reality, for those of you who maybe are wondering what does VR stand for. Um, so that's another, I think, emerging trend that, that we're starting to see as well. Yeah, I mean, I certainly would love personally, you know, to see these technologies, you know, being used, um, 
you know, well, uh, I'm not going to take a swipe at, at Meta and the Metaverse and all that. And, you know, I, you know, because I do think there are very productive, you know, uses of this technology. Um, and I think what you're hitting on, Rob, is, listen, we're trying to provide more immersive, right, interactive experiences, mm-hmm. learning experiences. And, you know, one of the things is, like, you, you talked about these training centers. And, Rob, I think you and I have both been to one of those, in, especially in the, in the utility space, right? We've seen them, and they're impressive, right? You know, um, and, you know, it, 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 when visiting them, I think it gets you to the realization, listen, these are people who work with their hands. Right. I mean, they're yes. in some cases doing things like welding pipe or, you know, I, I think in some of these training centers, they've got, you know, you know, slip treadmills. Right. Where you're practicing yes. walking on ice. Right. Like they're yes. literally in the physical world. Right. So you can't you know, you're not going to give them a PowerPoint that says, here's how not to slip on the ice. Right. It doesn't work no. that way. Right. Or here's here's the steps to weld a pipe, you know, and, you know, it really takes an immersive experience, an interactive experience to train someone. And I think when we're talking about technology, it's the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, and and so to the degree that we can, you know, um, I I feel as consultants, one of our jobs is to be really on the forefront of what are the emerging technologies and how might it be applied to our clients, especially again for you know our frontline workers, um, so that we can use as little time as possible of of their very precious and valuable day, um, have them be as distraction free but yet get the information that they need, the experience that they need um, to do their job so that it is you know, effective for the customer and safe for them and everyone that they work with. Um, and it's a win-win for everybody. So, you know, I know you, um, Rob, you mentioned earlier, you, you, you guys spend a lot of time working with in kind of the energy and resource utility space. Are there particular you know, kind of technology trends, initiatives that you see happening um, uh, in in those particular sectors? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, and I've been in this in this world for a long time, and and it's interesting, right? Because there are still to this day a number of paper based, heavy manual based processes, if you will, things like scheduling or knowing when to. Um, repair a piece of equipment? Do I take it offline or do I run it to failure? You know, that kind of thing. So you're seeing the emergence really of what I call the, you know, that big data analytics, right? That that it's it's bringing together, whether it's, you know, the vibrations on a particular machine and and the tolerance is there and, and, and hey, if we run the, you know, the math, it'll tell us we should, you know, take that piece of equipment either down at a certain point in time of day because, you know, we, we're, we're not as busy, um, or not, maybe it's smarter to run that particular piece of equipment to failure because it's actually cheaper and better economically to replace it that, you know, so we're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I think the world of sort of Amazon and, you know, Uber and Lyft, they have set a new bar for, you know, Hey, when should my technician show up <laughs> at my doorstep and can I track them as a customer? Right. So it's like, the, um, and, that's and, the holy grail, Rob, right? For, you know, they, that's the holy grail that everybody wants to see. Yes, yes, yes. And so we're seeing that. We're seeing a lot on the safety side of things, right? With the emergence of all sorts of, 
um, advanced detection devices. And personally, I'm wondering on that front if we're going to start to eventually see a convergence. Because again, what we're doing right now is we're adding more devices, right? It's all under the umbrella of creating a safer environment for the employees and the customers. But if I'm also starting to ask, you know, my, my guys out in the field to carry six different devices, you know, one for methane, one for high voltage, one for, you know, I think just like how, you know, the iPhone brought together for, for all of us things like a camera and our music and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I could I could imagine a world where we're going to start to see more convergence of these safety technologies mm-hmm. into whatever the you know device of the future is. Um, but, yeah, so. So it's it, on the one hand, it's a really exciting time. I think when we think about, you know, the the evolution of technology and capabilities for that frontline worker, and it's not without its challenges, both you know in terms of what we have today and as and what we might be migrating toward in the future. Yeah, one other technology is as well, Rob, that I've I've also noticed in addition to the ones that you called out. Um, you know, drone technology is is also something that you know some of our clients are incorporating. Um, you know, some of our clients, as they think about you know storm response, um, are starting to really incorporate um, you know drones that are able to get out to locations and survey um, more quickly and safer than you know having someone physically drive out get out of the truck, you know, traverse potentially dangerous conditions um, to inspect, you know, what is or isn't happening on the ground. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of different technologies that we see kind of in everyday life that are starting to get more incorporated into the frontline worker um, environment. I would add a couple more quick things. And, and so, A, um, I agree with everything that you just said, Rashi. And B, I would add... Um, you know, the telematics is another one that we've seen emerging, right? So it's, and this is a double-edged sword because a lot of the guys in the front line feel like when you start monitoring my driving habits, it's like a big brother sort of watching. So, so for any organizations who are, you know, either in the thick of that or getting ready to a a word of advice, which is, um, you know, to, again, bring people into that conversation early on, especially your influencers, so that we can hopefully dispel this notion about it being big brother and that it really is to enhance safety. And um, the second one is uh, don't forget about those corporate technologies that also hit that front line. And in particular, the trend there is more towards self-service, right? Whether we're talking about HR self-service or um, it might be ordering of equipment self-service, right? And, and these folks are used to being up a phone. They want to call someone and they want someone else to take care of it. And what we're asking them to do is, well, no, now with this, you know, you can download an app to your phone or to your, to your wonderful iPad that we just gave you. Um, and you can do these things yourself. Now, is that a positive or a negative? Well, it depends on how it's all positioned and, you know, what is the, what's in it for me for them. So um, things to keep in mind there too, that it's not just about the technologies that are specifically geared for frontline, but they're also being bombarded by things that are coming from corporate and other places. And we should really be thoughtful about what their reaction is likely to be. And again, get those influencers in early so that we can hopefully have a better experience for everybody. Yeah. And I think that's a great point because as you said, some of those things is critical. Like, as you said, unless they embrace it is never going to, um, it's never going to hit the point where 
the technology is going to realize the the promise that it was sold on right and and i think that what's in it for me is is very very important again another theme we've heard kind of very frequently mm-hmm. uh, on this on this show so at a, at a client that I was at um, a few years back, when they were starting to very first push some of the self-service um, elements on from an HR perspective, we actually had them do something that at first seemed counterintuitive. And it's all about the, the what's in it for me, right? So in that current world, on the one hand, it seems really easy. I just call an HR rep when I need something from an HR perspective and they quote unquote, take care of it. But how many times has that been really frustrating or they got your information wrong and they screwed up your pay stub or something like that. So we actually started to like, again, with their influencers, highlight the things that they didn't like about what was going on today. And that, hey, look how easy this is. I can on an app, I can put my own information in right now. It takes me two seconds and I know it's correct. And I'll make sure it's correct because it's my information. It's not that HR person's. So sometimes like going to that counterintuitive thing about like, well, what are the pain points that you're experiencing can actually help win over those hearts and minds over why we're doing what we're doing and why it's good for them. Yeah. I think that's a great point, Rob. Um, So before we wrap up, I've got an important question to ask both of you guys. So first of all, I know that both of you guys are um, very much into tennis. Um, and it, it is, by the way, is that a prerequisite to work at blue star partners that you have to play tennis? Is that, is that something that, that, that all applicants should know in advance? Well, you know, what's funny is, um, there are three, we have three partners, all three of us are tennis players. Um, and, uh, so what made that a prerequisite, but definitely, you know, wouldn't hurt the resume if if you're interested in tennis um, to be a partner with us. So that wasn't the hard question. The hard question is, first of all, do you guys play against each other? Do you play with each other as doubles partners? So, so one of our parts, so Rishi and I live like geographically close to each other in the Chicagoland area. And our other partner lives in the city and I keep twisting his arm to come up our way and join us for tennis and he conveniently has all sorts of reasons why you know that's not going to work um so but one of these days we'll get him on the court um rishi and i have played pickleball together a number of times because that's another like emerging racket sport um that is a lot of fun um rishi and i have not yet played tennis together although we have gone to the labor cup together when it was in chicago and that was a lot of fun Okay. Well, maybe that's a smart strategy because the question I was going to ask is who, who, who's, who's won more matches against the other, but maybe that's why, and maybe that's why your partner is like, I don't even want to go there. Or the other partner, like, let's not even get into that. We've got enough tension already. We don't need to add uh, competitiveness on top of it. All I can tell you is that um, even though Rishi, had not, Rishi and I have not played tennis together, I know from his resume that he is a way better tennis player than <laughs> I will ever hope to be. So if we ever are out together, it's going to be on the same side. Okay. So. Yeah. We've got to talk a little bit about pickleball mall more because our, my gym locally just opened it up and it's intriguing um, to me. I've watched a couple of videos, um, but as you know, I, I'd like to kind of pick your guys brain on that a little bit. Um, in all seriousness, guys, um, this has been a fantastic um, discussion. I really appreciate you both taking the time. Um, where's the best place people can reach out if they want to chat with you uh, afterward? 
Yeah, so uh, you know we've got a LinkedIn page um, and we've got a Twitter account uh, with Blue Star as well as our website. Um, so we'll send those over to you. And um, yeah, would love if if you could share them with uh, this audience group. Yeah, check out the LinkedIn uh, posting. We'll tag both Rob and and Rishi on it, so you can reach out to them directly. Blue Star Partners is www.bluestarpartners.com. Um, so that's pretty straightforward. And as I mentioned, I'm going to put a link to that video, um, uh, in the, uh, on the LinkedIn post so people can, can check that out. That's, that's awesome. Um, Rob, Rishi really appreciate you joining us today and, and sharing your thoughts with the audience. I'm sure, um, the listeners are, are, are grateful as well. Dean, thanks so much for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Well, guys, we'll wrap it up here. Um, and for those listening, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. If so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. And a friendly reminder, this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. You can visit the Skillful website at skyllful.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. Until then, see you on our next episode.